Welcome, listeners, to another tantalizing, exciting, fun drive edition. Bingo. Of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. mania. Yes, what? Yes. As you can hear, we got some guests in with us today, and we're excited. And they just they just cue right in on. I love it. Friends of Friends of Dirt be on top of it. I love it. Oh, it's the Friends of Dirt Fun Drive Edition State of Richmond episode. Yes, Yes. we're gonna talk about State of Everything, just all of it. Gonna State of the Commonwealth, State of the Local Tea, State of y'all need to get y'all together. All of it. We're going to talk about all of it. So we're going to go around. Of course, we love to allow our guests to manage their own narrative. So we're going to let y'all go around and introduce yourselves. We'll start on my side over here. Hello, my name is Wyatt Gordon. I am the Virginia correspondent with Greater Greater Washington covering transit and transportation across the Commonwealth. Okay, Wyatt, with the I know you're quiet storm. Yes. Voice? That's mm-hmm. okay. Oh, yes. That's my German voice. You okay. talk from the back of your throat. Ooh. Okay, and with the three <laughs> three low installments in 1999. <laughs> Dark and stormy over here. Damn. Okay. <laughs> Who else we got? Hi, everyone. It's Cherie Shannon. I am a comm strategist, and I'm also with Southside Relief and Hull Street Action. Woohoo! All right. Oh, Welcome. All right. <laughs> Don't come, come on. Are you Mr. Mr. 6 today? Yeah, please drop that bass for us. Friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah. And I am Tykeen Cooper, better known as Mr. 6 1 and counting. And <laughs> counting. Wait a minute. It keeps getting longer every time. Hey, I cut my hair just to be sure. <gasps> and it's definitely real. Goodbye. <laughs> So apparently, Tykeen grew an extra inch after he turned 30. In my, in my 30th year, I grew a whole inch. Oh, I mean, impressive. he's and, a modern miracle. Hey, thank God that you're in the presence. I know. <laughs> Praise be. Oh. <laughs> and, I'm working on another inch in my 31st year. <laughs> I prayed for this. This is going to be a good show. Y'all can already All tell. Right. Okay. Uh, and so everybody here has been here more than once. Yes. So Cherie has been twice. I've only been. This is my second time. This is your second time. But Are you sure? Yeah, I, I was on the queer me. one. Yes. Okay. It, but, so Takeen is working on his five-timers club blazer. Yes, he wants the, he wants the five-timers. He's a, he's, this is his third appearance. <laughs> While you guys are listening, why this show is so important and we picked this because one, we want y'all to listen and we love bringing y'all funny but entertaining and also educational things and topics, but we also need your dollars. We need your money because we need a great space to record in. We need equipment. We need support. We need snacks, um, all those things. And so while you're listening, of course, always call in or log in on the website and donate yep. and just give a little shout to your favorite show, RBA Dirt, so that we know... Mm-hmm. That you real, you know what I'm saying? At me. Yeah. That's right. W-R-I-R dot O-R-G and press the big red donate button. All right. Yep. Let's jump in. Let's so, make some radio magic here, Yes. Friends. Yes. Ooh. So we got a, a range of topics we're going to kind of try to cover today, but I think... You know, one of the things I'd love, I I have all of you guys here because you guys are very knowledgeable about local politics and what's going on. And so let's kind of talk about some, and it doesn't have to be fact facts because, you know, we got a lot of rumors, you know, 
we got the street committee in here, you know what I'm saying? Proud chairperson, chairman. You know, Proud chairperson of the street committee's in here. <laughs> so we know, you know, we got some prospects who could be running, might be running, think about running. So what, what do oh, y'all think? Oh, y'all think, think about running for office? Oh, no. We didn't made. say, no, we didn't say us. We said we got the street committee got the T on who's planning to run. See what I'm okay. saying? I was going to say because I'm happy to invest. You know what? Um, <laughs> dollars and time. Well, you can donate to WRIR to start it off. Hello. First Absolutely. donation. Hello. Okay. Why it's going to match everything I give for the next hour. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Better get to writing some articles. <laughs> y'all listening, Greater Greater Washington? I'm telling you. Let's let's start off this conversation with who are y'all's favorite prospects right now? We've got an election coming up. Of course, Virginia has one every damn year. But you know, we talk got about one. that for a second. Like, <clears throat> go ahead. Let's yes, start. I, how that's Please. part of voter disenfranchisement? Like yep. that was a very deliberate mm-hmm. act for us to have elections every year mm-hmm. to limit uh, participation specifically among disenfranchised voters. Absolutely. Black and brown. And that's probably number one or two on the list of how it literally prevents people from being able to vote. The other one is the fact that Virginia, they always host it during the week. And it's actually written into that it has to be posted at that time. And they made, oh, well, we made the times a little longer. So it's early, early, and then it's late, late. But it's like, okay, there's certain people that just can't take off. The first Tuesday after the first Monday. Mm Mm-hmm. In November. And you can actually go look down at the local level and you'll see which places like Richmond holds their local offices Mm -hmm. on the same year as like bigger state elections because they want to increase turnout. But if you look at like Chesterfield County, for example, they hold Mm -hmm. their local elections in like the off off year because it keeps turnout even lower. So that's something I would love to see come out of the General Assembly is really thinking about how do we boost turnout? Like how do we make sure as many people as possible in uh, an authentic, equitable Way. And it's going to happen when they start talking about redistricting and redrawing those lines. Because I believe right now Virginia has, during off presidential years, a 44 to 45% drop off mm-hmm. when it comes to voter engagement. So, um, and then when you look at the counties, I know even last year during the congressional races, voter drop off was upwards 50%, which is a huge mm-hmm. issue. So. Mm-hmm. so, we had record turnouts in the 5th Congressional District last year. Our local Local elections for the town, mm-hmm. we actually vote in May. Like we have some town council members who get elected with twenty votes yeah. because the majority of their district usually consists of college students, and they're gone. And they're gone by that time, or they're in the middle of exams and mm-hmm. what have you. So participation is extremely low. However, it costs taxpayers a lot of money to have these elections in May, but it doesn't cost less just because less people turn out. Right. Right. But, you know, we have to get explicit permission from the General Assembly because of the Dillon rule to move our elections to November. Damn that Dillon rule popping up again. Everywhere. Another way to disenfranchise black and brown. I think you need to insert like these like lightning bolt noises every time. (laughs) (laughs) It's like. So that's a good place to start. And while we're on it, let's talk about some of these prospect of races that we have coming up right now. Who who are you guys watching? Like good or bad? What's what's, yeah, what's going the down? most interesting race to you? Well, definitely if I have to go with General Assembly, one in this area is Sheila Bynum Coleman mm-hmm. and Kirk Cox. I mean, the fact Ooh. that he is the current Speaker of the House mm-hmm. and because they re- redrew those lines, it's mm-hmm. a competitive race. And so there's a possibility of a black woman unseating uh, the current speaker. speaker. Would that not be the most amazing feat? Well, Which that would has be never happened in the oh, country. No. Yeah, a city speaker has never been defeated by 
a black woman. Mm-hmm. One of the things I do find interesting is when I drive around and I see people signs, how few people say they are a Republican or they don't use red coloring. Oh, they have dropped signs. that bad boy this year because Trump then just after all that up. But one of the few people that I see who fully embraces the brand is Amanda Chase in Chesterfield. She, oh, yeah. Her signs are fully <laughs> red. But I, I think it's very interesting that quite a few Republicans are not um, owning mm-hmm. their party when they're selling themselves. And like mm-hmm. Kurt Cox especially is selling himself as like a coach, a teacher, mm-hmm. a neighbor. Yeah, he's my former government um, teacher. And if you watch his TV ads, you never see him mention that he's the speaker. Mm-hmm. You never see him mention that he's a Republican. Mm-mm. So No, he just chops up uh, the statements that Sheila Bonham Coleman makes and makes them sound really crazy. But you know, that's the political way. Another thing I've noticed is for commercials, if you're a guy, they always have you next to like Bernie Sanders in the commercials, like <sighs> crazy socialist. But if you're a woman, it's always AOC and Ilhan Omar. So it's mm. like oh, an odd like gender-based divide on which radical leftist, quote-unquote, you're being attached to. Mm-hmm. That's true. Oh, yeah, for the Hashmi ads, they have done that. Mm-hmm. It's always women with women and men with men. Oh, well, um, Siobhan Donovan is doing that to Deborah Rodman, too. Yeah. Making her out to be, like, a f- absolute crazed leftist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah, Skyler really also with Bernie. And they've got, like, a picture of him where he does, unfortunately, have, like, kind of big eyes, so... <sighs> They they just hating on Bernie right now because they yeah. think they're gonna. I what did I tell y'all? I called this. Nope. Shit. I was like, look at Bernie in this damn debate. Y'all gonna give Bernie a heart attack? And what did y'all do? Give Bernie a damn give heart attack? No 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 no. Heart attack. Y'all gave him a heart attack. Told y'all. Told y'all it was coming. I I also think it's interesting, like, how few issues I feel like are being actually run on. Like, most Mm -mm. of the substance of what I see is they're, like, radicals. I feel like on the Democratic side, I see people talking more about ideas, about, like, how they want to fix health care or gun safety. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I had to put together what I think the Republicans are running on, I would say it is, like, a not-them campaign, which is interesting for a party that's in power. Normally, you see people doing that in the opposition. Like, But it's... Right. But I think the reason that we're seeing that shift, that paradigm shift, is because of Trump. You yeah, know. I think it's the Trump playbook, right? It because is. in 2016, Clinton had what 53 policy proposals or something like we had never seen anyone have that many policy proposals. And Trump ran on basically three things. Like he was going to build a wall, <sighs> he was going to repeal Obamacare, mm. and he was going to appoint Supreme Court justices. It was knock him out and let's make America great again. Oh, first of all, Trump is like a whole nother thing. But what you what we're seeing out of basically most Republicans right now is like, yes, I'm a Republican and I'm going to salvage this particular campaign, this seat, this party, and I'm not going to be Trump. But I also don't really want to be super strong Republican either because I don't, I think it puts a bad taste in y'all's mouth. So I'm going to fake it till I make it. Can that work? And that, so who I think do we that's think is threading the needle? Hmm. Who do y'all think is going to pull out in some of these tighter races? Well, I really, really hope that, like you mentioned, Cherie, that I'm hoping that Sheila Bonham Coleman wins in her race because, like you said, the lines have been redrawn. They've actually changed the actual polling place for Virginia State. That's a major battleground right now. From what I understand, Kirk Cox is super friendly with Virginia State and the upper leaders. And so... It might be a little battleground for that. I don't know. But I'm hoping that with redistricting and things like that, it'll be competitive. I just think, <laughs> I don't know. I think just the basic campaign stuff is just difficult in that area because <laughs> Sheila just got signs up not too long ago and he's had signs up. He's running these wild, you know, they have this. There's one commercial that just pisses me off so bad. 
but I feel like there's so many of them. But he has a particular one, and it's like he cut this statement from Sheila, and it's like, I want to take the police out of schools. And I believe, if I remember correctly, the rest of the statement was, I want to take the police out of schools because in in a authoritative reprimand you know in that space they're there for protection but they're not protecting black and brown students and that's true and she said that shouldn't be um police shouldn't be uh policing behavior of students i think it was like at the debate and she made that statement absolutely and so he's cut it and then there's this like group of women and it's like a meeting you know and they like all went to banana republic and lily pulitzer and they picked out outfits and they're sitting around the table having starbucks and they Aww, have the token yeah they have the token negro and she's at the table and she says i, I just don't I, I i just don't trust her i mean I, we the police are the you know they're the protectors and the support of our community and it's like really so I, I do want to go back to something real quick because I've been seeing this on social about the administration at Virginia State. They play really, really nice with Speaker Cox, right? Mm-hmm. So my question is, they are in his district. Do you think like it would be stupid for ludicrous them to, for them exactly. to not be nice, regardless if you're a Democrat or Republican, like right. whomever is the sitting you're sitting delegate, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you should definitely build a relationship it's, with. Especially with And then the if they are the speaker, in. like mm-hmm. you definitely want so I'm not I'm not faulting them. And so for full disclaimer, I'm an adjunct professor at Virginia State. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not faulting them for having a positive relationship. Like I think I, that's I'm not I'm, either. I'm just saying that that stands in the way of or that stands in the place for this is an established candidate, an established person that they do have a relationship with already. You know, I think Sheila especially would have to fight a little harder to say, hey, I can bring this to the table or, you know, I can bring something else or, you know, you should support me with your vote when they have an already pre-established relationship with somebody else. That's just how that works. I mean, you have to earn the vote. Like, yeah. Well, one thing I do want to point out is that um, because there's only four statewide elections in the country right now, there Mm -hmm. is a lot of financial backing from like the Democratic Party for these candidates. Mm -hmm. And what I think is unique, especially here in Virginia, is that we have women of color who are running who are getting national funding for Mm -hmm. those races Mm -hmm. whereas that did not really happen last year or before because this isn't the first time sheila has run yeah so i mean we have Mm -hmm. have sheila we have uh hala ayala is running a very competitive race Mm -hmm. as well and prince william guzman Mm -hmm. you know jennifer carol foy obviously Mm -hmm. here we have mcclellan so Mm -hmm. what i love about this is because that it is an off year they are getting national attention. Like, you know, you see their stories on MSNBC and The Atlantic and New York Times and Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And it's like a state house election. Whereas if this happened in 2018 or even next year, they probably would be overlooked. They would. Be. And there's there's a lot of black candidates, too. Herbert Jones is running against Joshua Cole up in Fredericksburg. Oh, yeah. Alex Askew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but in Washington. I, so I think. That are getting big money. Mm-hmm. To, I do think people are pouring money in here because they kind of see this as like an opportunity to set the tone for next year. The bill weather for what happened in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. How, however, just as you've mentioned, um, Democratic candidates doing very well fundraising. 
Republican money will be coming in within the next few weeks, a few days. Like, well, it already started. I mean, they're yeah. running ads against Spanberger because of her impeachment inquiry. Yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm talking about like the Matthew Friedas raise. Mm-hmm. He yeah. just got a large donation. Like there, there will be a lot of money coming in Virginia. Oh, should we talk about the local race <laughs> that is up for grabs? Yeah, let's this roll November, into the fifth uh, talking about the fifth yes, district. Yes, that's another big one. Oh. oh my goodness gracious. Just to catch people up, I'm sure that y'all know, you should know because we've talked about it a bit, but 5th District candidate Parker Agilesto, like Secret Squirrel, moved out of his district into the 1st District and to the 1st and Fabulous Richest District in Richmond. And the f- history of the 5th District is it was basically the swing district that was kind of created in the yeah it was the um, historic 1977 election uh, yeah it broke the moratorium on uh voting because you know it was it was all at large so all the candidates Mm -hmm. were coming and winning from the first district Mm -hmm. and so yeah it was the first majority black uh council with the first black mayor Mm -hmm. um it was a big deal so representation meant a lot And especially that district. And, you know, Parker got called out on it. And instead of addressing it front on, he just said, well, I'm not going to run for re-election. I think he got some really terrible advice, too, from city attorney Alan Jackson, who is now no longer city attorney. Yeah, he's last recently he just retired last week he did last week was his last or the day after council so that tuesday Mm -hmm. was his last day yes i know and we don't know what is surrounding that and i would love to know so if anybody's got that tea Mm -hmm. go ahead and hit us up info at rvadirt.com thank you so much yep but yeah so there's there's hella people i mean i got i got my own ideas but i think we're now on the seven because graham sturm dropped out yes Yes. graham sturm dropped out yeah and he's supporting stephanie lynch yes Who's the social worker? Mm-hmm. We have Stephanie Lynch, the social worker. We have Thad Williamson, the, the U of I professor. Guy, he's like. We have Nicholas De Silva, um, the Democratic Socialist. Mm-hmm. We have Jermichael McCoy. Mm-hmm. He's a he owns a sports <laughs> business. He sells sports yeah. merchandise. I was looking. Okay. Yeah. Oh. He's also uh, what is he? Um, Urban League. I want to say. An Urban League. Yeah. Um, professionals president mm-hmm. Amy Taylor former teacher former school board member um, and then you get Robin Mines she's a minister yeah. Chuck Richardson and a, ve- and a veteran and a veteran, and a veteran yes yeah. and then Chuck Richardson who is also a veteran also a veteran and the actual city council former veteran. city councilman for a fifth district for the fifth district that was the one that years or something oh no he was on there for 19 years he was the one who was elected in that in swing that district, swing, 1977. Yeah. Election, yeah. Election. So, and uh, full disclosure, I worked for him for like a hot minute and then left. So I am no longer on that campaign, so I can talk about yep. these things. So but, why are you no longer on the campaign? Well, um, officially I left for health reasons. Okay, all and right. I'm feeling better now. Wonderful. Yay. But yeah, you know, that race is going to be interesting because, well, for one, it's only, you know, 5th District, of course, but... It's a lot of fighting for just 11 months. It is a lot, a lot of fighting. But it could be a lot of critical votes when you think about the North of Broad development, Mm -hmm. Navy Hill. That's what it is. Yeah, that's where it all is because every single... Every single forum, every single questionnaire, every everything. How do you feel about Navy Hill? Yep. And the only person who hasn't given us, I mean, well, he kind of has, but <laughs> the only person who won't, won't answer that question straight on is Chuck. No, no, he has. He finally did? No, he has been. His, his answer has been consistently no unless 
changes are made and we get more information on it as the process goes. It's Thad uh, who hasn't been oh, as well, forthcoming with that. I'll reflect you back to the crusade. Well, uh, that, see, that's a different story. Yeah, that was the crusade forum was at the beginning. So he's, okay, Chuck so will he say he's evolving. Been, he's evolved. Yeah, I was going to say he's evolved. He actually said not having enough information is not the proper excuse because when you, the moment that you step into that seat, you're already going to be six months behind. And so mm-hmm. if you don't have the information, you need to get it. So that's not a viable answer. So if he's evolved away from that, that's too bad. The ones who are definitely against it, you know, Nick DeSilva is absolutely against yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think Stephanie Lynch is a no. I think, I, yeah, I think she said no. Most people kind of float back and forth between I want to know more about what it is. And it's like, okay, well, that's, again, like I said, that's not a viable answer at this point because you're going to be looking towards a vote almost as soon as you sit down. Yeah, so the last candidate forum, um, we were part of the planning it. And three of the candidates, like no one said they were forward Mm -hmm. in that questionnaire. And like half of the candidates said that it was absolutely not. And half of the candidates said they needed more information. As it's currently written, they couldn't they couldn't support it. Mm-hmm. So as it's currently proposed. So do y'all think that this race is really just devolving into a referendum on Navy Hill? Bingo. Yes. And I, I feel like it is because and but I feel like that's almost every conversation really to be, to be Hashtag honest. but the Coliseum. Everything right. but the Coliseum. And it's like But I, I don't know if I would put ugh. I don't know if I would say that it's because the fifth with the number of students in that district, the f- the fifth can change like in one academic year. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't know if I would say that this race is like a bellwether or a referendum on Navy Hill per se. Well, I I think I feel the like political- that's just more what the conversation is yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. When I look at the campaigns that people are writing, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that's not the topic they want to talk about. Like when I see like the signs for Nick Da Silva everywhere, it's like talking about like housing rights and employment. Yeah. Um, They'd much rather be talking about transportation. Hell yeah, you know, nobody and fixing potholes. Nobody honestly. wants to put their damn name on that. Nope. Everybody yeah. wants to have some talk about anything else <laughs> but that. So I mean that makes sense. But most of them seem to be focused on when they go out and they're talking to people. They're focused on what can I do to fix your immediate problems. Mm-hmm. At least there's a consensus across all. It sounds like they're way. running city council races. You know, they're knocking on doors yep. and they are trying to solve problems for people, which is what Joe Morrissey was criticized for doing in the Senate race. Right. Because he some people said he was running a mayoral election uh-huh. as a state senator for a state Senate race. But that's what people really care about. I like I don't think so, though. I, I think. Well, you're right. You're right. But I also would disagree because. I think that he ran a Joe Morrissey race. Like, that's how he campaigns. Right. He's the charismatic person that's like that. I mean, he's absolutely and it works. slimy. It does but work. That, because yeah. people feel like they're being heard, right? Yeah. That's what it out of the water in her own district. I he, mean, he, blew, he won 70% of the town yep. that she was a mayor. <laughs> I mean, of. she straight up were, said, oh, well, I'm Rosalind Dance and I just got fired. Because people were tired. Yeah, people were tired of, of what they felt like was inaction on her part. And so when you have somebody that knocks on your door three three cycles in mm-hmm. like three times before election hell yeah people are excited about that so who do y'all feel has that personal touch that <laughs> it's going to pull them through in the fifth district mm. that's a good question because it when mm. i drive around the district and i look at the signs i 
feel like Stephanie Lynch is really say, strong. I see a lot of her signs. I yeah. feel like Nicholas De Silva is very strong. I see in a lot of like the RHA housing, he has got a lot of signs out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is going to be a really surprising outcome because we don't know where people are. I feel are like it's going to be this. tight down to the yeah, end. With so many people in this race, I think it's hard to count the votes. Like it really is. You know, so it, it could be it could be someone that we aren't even thinking about, <clears throat> or, or that not we per se, but someone that's not being recognized as a front runner who could pull it off because with so many people in the Jermichael. race. And with so many, I think. I think it could a, be the dark horse. <clears throat> might be, and you know, if that was no pun intended. Oh, that was not. A, oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Clarification. That but, is an idiot. I know. I got you. <laughs> a lot of talk. You know, we just kind of touched on North Abroad or whatever, but a lot of people also think that it's going to be a telltale sign for Thad, him being automatically associated with the mayor because he previously worked in the mayor's office. People are like, either if you're pro mayor, you're probably going to go with that if they're against this North Abroad just by association with being you know associated with the mayor people are going to be like hell no hey melissa it's that time of year again hell yeah it's decorative gourd season um no Put the pumpkin spice down, girl, and pull out your wallet. It's WRIR's Fall Fun Drive from October the 16th to the 23rd. You know, that time of year where we tell you, the listener, how important you are. Please give me money. To keep Richmond Independent Radio and shows like Municipal Mania on the air. This one's for the children. Just like RVA Dirt, WRIR is an all-volunteer endeavor, so every penny counts. I don't really need a D, I need the money. So, reach into your pocket for a lint-covered dime or dig the change out of your couch cushions and make your donation online at WRIR.org today. Just click the big red donate button and give what your heart and bank account allows. There's some change. And don't forget to mention your favorite show, <clears throat> Municipal Mania, when you give. You like me. Thank you for listening and supporting Truly Independent Talk Radio in Richmond. Thank you. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. Heard Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Let us move into some other Richmond-centric topics. Let's talk about transportation real quick because we actually have a transportation journalist here. And so while we've got him here, let's talk about it. Wyatt, you got some things you want to opine on? So one of the things that I'm really looking forward to uh, over the next year is I think we have real opportunities to move transportation and our public transit system forward. And I think there's some real momentum building behind that. At the state level, we'll keep an eye on the General Assembly because the way we have dedicated funding set up right now, Nova has had that for a long time. Hampton Roads has that. I-81 just closed that deal. So all of the western part of the state has their own dedicated transportation funding, which means we here in Central Virginia are the donut hole and Mm -hmm. we are left out. And so I think there's going to be some real movement in the General Assembly to make sure that we close that hole. And I am looking forward to seeing how that deal plays out. Do we earmark a certain percentage of dollars towards public transportation, towards improving our transit systems, which 
currently are doing the best they can with rubber bands and mm. bubble gum to make people be able to get to work on time. I think part of that momentum where we see positive developments coming at the local level is if you hadn't noticed, GRTC has a brand new CEO. It is the first female CEO in their yep. history. Yep. She comes from Hampton Roads Transit, from Nashville. So we are having someone move into our market that has experience, that has a new vision, and that is very uncharacteristically accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, she is blossoming on Twitter. She is coming out to all of the advisory group meetings. She is riding the bus to and from their headquarters for official business. And I think there's some potential there that we have accountable leadership and a potential for new funding to come in. And I think with the right vision, we could really change the way we think about mobility in Central Virginia and Richmond. I hope so. And I hope that they use these dollars if they do set some aside to form an equitable exchange in public transit. I would love to see them set aside dollars and break it down based on how do we want people to get around? Like, not how people are getting around right now, because Richmond is pretty miserable. We only have 5% of all trips that don't happen with a private vehicle, which is just not sustainable, not for climate change, not for our roads. As our region is growing, we just can't throw more and more cars and expect there to be less traffic. Mm -mm. So I would love for us to think about, like, a visioning of where we want to go. Like, maybe we want to get half of all trips to be taken with transit. So let's set aside half of all the dollars for transit. Maybe we want 10% of all trips to be done with walking. So we set aside 10% of the money for walking. I think we need to think holistically about how people get around and get people out of their cars because it changes the way you see the world. When you ride a bus, you think about the other people on the bus, you walk to and from that bus, you see different stores. And I think if there's one thing that our region needs, it's empathy. And unless you get to really like live the lives of other people and bump into those people, you can't. uh, It's harder. It's harder to make that reach. And sitting in your own private steel box makes that extremely difficult Mm -hmm. because all you think about is you yourself getting to where you want to be. And the transit community needs to understand, too, that they have to regain the trust of a lot of neighborhoods in Richmond because... A lot of black and brown people got shot nope. when JRTC Pulse came out, when uh, stations were or stops were cut off, routes were changed, and neighborhoods got the impression, not the impression, they were told flat out, <laughs> you're not quite as, as important as this, you know, brewery shoot is. You know, even in that conversation, there has to be a lot of just equality talk in terms of who may need the bus and who's actually riding the bus versus who they like like to attract to ride the bus. I think transit is a perfect microcosm of a lot of issues that we have in the city where we have two groups of people that want things to be better and instead of talking with one another, they talk past one another. Yep. And one group says like we want the system to be more efficient, laudable goal. Another group mm-hmm. says we want the system to be more equitable also a goal and we don't seem to be able to do both of those things at the same time mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where that creation of empathy is going to be really key because we need people who rely on the pulse to get around to understand how critical other routes are in the east end and on the south side mm-hmm. your commute is not just the only <coughs> commute everyone is commuting differently to get where they need to go yeah. and we need to make sure that everyone in the city is able to have the mobility that they deserve. Mm-hmm.
Yep. And with that mobility, also just ensuring that it's safe to do so. And so, you know, when it's hot outside. I have a um, shelter. Yeah, we have shelters. We have benches. Um, if we can add some can. trees along the way, if we can also focus on sidewalks, that would also enhance, you know, things to be a little bit more safer as well. So if we can look at this more holistically and not in piecemeal, that would be great. Yeah, and that is one of the things with the uh, death of Alice e. Woodson yeah. uh, very recently that I've seen a lot of people talking about, like, uh, bus versus pedestrians. And that's just not the way this is set up because anyone who rides a bus begins and ends their trip as a pedestrian. Mm-hmm. You have to be on foot. And I think really what we're missing is the infrastructure or the lack of infrastructure that contributed to her death was the predominance of the car on Broad Street, which used to be the main strip of our city. It was like this beautiful boulevard that people would love to walk on and all the best shops were on Broad Street. And what we've done is turn that into a mini superhighway to get you from east to west in our city. And And planning for the people is not happening. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think we need to rethink where what is the what is the place for people in Richmond and how do we plan and build for people and not for cars? Because not everyone can afford a car. Not everyone wants to have a car. If you look at where our climate is going, I have friends over the past six months who have given up cars. They have the financial ability to have cars. And they've said, I just ethically look out at the world and see what's happening. And I look at the temperature in Glen Allen is 88 degrees. And I look at the temperature in Carver and it's 98 degrees. Mm. And I don't want to contribute to the heat island because there are people who can't escape it. Yeah. God bless them. But we can't expect everyone to be able to do that. Right. Unless you provide frequent and reliable options. Yeah. This all ties into to the uh, Richmond 300 master plan that is getting planned out right now. How do uh, we feel about that? You know, Richmond does a whole lot of planning, but we don't follow through with any of that. Nope. So I would um, love to see the riverfront plan be implemented. And that's been out for... Five years at least. Yeah. Right. We have some, we, we master plan, we master plan, we master plan, and we don't implement. The one uh, master plan that we implemented was the one in uh, 1946 that segregated everything completely and Destroyed put us Fulton. where we are today. Yeah. I think the Richmond 300 process looks great. It's a great way to think about re envisioning our city for the future. I also just hope that implementation comes Mm -hmm. um, because you can have really wonderful beautiful plans please y'all go look at the riverfront plan like Mm -hmm. it would expand the amount of green space the ability for us to connect with nature and Reva would get her park it (laughs) it is our city's number one asset and um, it just hasn't been fully (laughs) implemented so no yeah um, I mean I do think there are lots of big changes coming to Richmond especially in the way we think about land use and where people live if y'all have been paying attention the like Chamberlain plan that happened around VUU yep. that envisions what is now a bunch of like industrial warehouses being completely transformed into like eight ten story apartment and condo buildings mm-hmm. um, and that that would really become like a new residential heart of the north side which is really exciting uh, it makes sense that we want people to live downtown But when we get into the details of what those apartments cost, who can access those, the devil's always in the details. So I'm excited for density. I'm excited to have more people living in the city because that means more businesses, more eyes on the street, things get safer. But when we think about adding in people, we have to think about how we do that because what we don't want to do is displacement. Uh, We don't want to remove people that currently live here. We want to add more people. We want more neighbors and we want to build a stronger community. 
And I don't think we've got the formula of how to do that right now. Yeah. Uh, is it a formula or is it a just a legit theory or a practice? I mean, one thing we could do is to change our zoning enrichment. Like right now, 71% of the city is zoned for single family only. Mm-hmm. If that's not the complete opposite of freedom, I don't know what is. You're only allowed to build a house for one family on your land. And there are huge swaths of Richmond that we're not going to be able to make affordable. Like there's no opportunity for us to transform the four bedroom homes all across Battery Park and Northside into something that's going to be bite sized and affordable for lower income people. Um, if we don't have zoning that allows us to change those lots into denser. And just when people think about density, that sounds scary. But think about uh, the museum district. Everyone loves the museum district and you have like three, four story little cute apartment buildings all throughout. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who can't afford to live in the fan anymore have moved to the museum district mm -hmm. because it's built to be affordable. Like it's, we have to just rethink the way we build and who we build and not be scared of adding more people because we're, we need to have more people in this city, but we need to add them in a way that doesn't kick out those who are already here. I was going to say that I don't think density has ever been an issue because we wouldn't have places like Gilpin um, if density was ever an issue for the city. I think the issue is where people want certain people in the city. And that's that's been the issue of, you know, who, who wants who where. Yeah. I mean, the Richmond 300, I was a part of the environmental working group. And so it is a land use document. And so something that we talk about a lot is population and how it's going to grow in the city. Richmond's only 62 and a half square miles. And so compared to other cities like Minneapolis or Pittsburgh or Baltimore, we're definitely underpopulated for its, our capacity here. One thing that I have noticed coming out of um, that land use plan, there were a lot of people who had a lot of great ideas, which, which I'm really excited about. But we definitely need more community input. And so I know right now that they have a lot of um, evening sessions and public forums where folks can look at the plan and give their mm -hmm. comments. And I found that the process has been um, open to people. I can't, you know, speak on everyone's experience on, on the process, but I know that anything that I've had to contribute or other folks I've worked with, they've been able to contribute things and they have included those ideas and those policy proposals into the master plan. So, and that's really important, especially if you live in like the South Side or the East End where life expectancy is much lower. We have worse health outcomes. Um, we don't have a strong transit in those areas as well. And with zoning and the way that it's looking, they're looking to move more of those activity centers to our neighborhoods. So we definitely need more black and brown people to be at these meetings um, to contribute to how we want our neighborhoods to look like in the future. Mm -hmm. Next topic, education. Tucky, you're resident education expert over here. What do you see for the future of RPS? So not to sound curt, but I don't think we can go much further in the other directions. So I, I think we can only go up, um, which I'm hopeful. Like there have definitely been some things that needed to be exposed for us to move forward. And the truth of the matter is it's going to take a long time to turn around this process and to turn around the state of RPS. So I think we're headed the right direct in the right direction. I'm curious to see how that could change next year with it being everyone up for election school board which personally I'm not a fan of 
how, but that's how the institution of school board. You mean? No, I'm not a fan of how all all school board and all um, city council races are up. I wish they were staggered instead of everyone being up on the same. Because you have the what happened in 2016 where the entire school board is brand spanking new they fresh flipped. and then they want to redo the whole plan after a whole team has already worked on a whole nother plan that never got implemented and we just spent a lot of time planning and money i would question the necessity of a school board um, because i have a lot of experience uh, living and working in hawaii and all education for the state is run from a state level mm-hmm. department of education and uh, they have much more equitable funding outcomes because they have one entire statewide formula where they say, okay, every student gets X thousand dollars to follow them. Mm-hmm. And then if they have additional challenges where they need more wraparound support, mm-hmm. say you have students with autism, you have students with language barriers, you have all of those, you get add-ons. And every single add-on throws an extra thousand or whatever on. Mm-hmm. And I... Question why we have a school board. Like, shouldn't this well, because be something that we hold? It becomes about personalities and agendas instead of about the children and for. education. Because this seems like it's kind of diffusing responsibility for one of the most vital mm-hmm. things that our local government is responsible for. And I, I personally would love to see where we can just hold city council and the mayor directly responsible for everything that's happened at RPS. Because this is even happening in Chesterfield County, where you see the school board and the board of supervisors sniping back at one another and no one is ultimately taking responsibility for um having crazy like disease bacteria in yeah. the water and up and off yeah um so Virgin- virginia's funding formula actually does work that way so but the at-risk add-on like there's some yeah. movement from the department of ed right now yep to increase the the add-on, right? Because we still yeah. are one of the top 10 like least equitable states in terms of yes. education. Our funding school funding, yeah, we're like a D minus, mm-hmm. F plus. Yeah. Um, a couple of th- things that came up like when you were talking, right? I want to be clear about this, and I'll preface this by saying that I'm in no way supporting this, but that's the argument that people were using to get rid of an elected school board in Richmond. That famous letter, um, because some people argue that local school boards in Virginia really don't have any autonomy because they have to go to the local legislative body for their funding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's this rift because here in Richmond, before the education compact, which there's much to be desired there, and we can start with attendance, right? Yeah. The school board and city city council. council, they hadn't met formally collectively for what 12 or 13 years Mm -hmm. and so back home we just switched from an appointed school board to elected school board in 2017 but they they meet three or four times every year during budget season however kind of alluding to like coming back to a couple things that you said sometimes when you have an elected school board some people there have political ambitions beyond school board bingo and so, like, how do we create this system? Because I think elected school boards are important, but how do we give more autonomy to school boards? But how do we also ensure that they are fulfilling their duties to meet the needs of all the students? And I think that's a quagmire that's, that we have all over Virginia right now because like, I was in the conference in Denver a few months back, 
And people are saying all these creative things that their school boards and local government come up with to fund schools, right? Hashtag Dylan Rule. But because of the almighty Dylan Rule. (laughs) um, It's extremely limited here. Right. Before we close out... Since we do talk a little, uh, well, a little, a lot of doom and gloom around here, let's maybe try to end on a positive note and uh, talk about things maybe that we're hopeful for or excited for in the city in the coming year and leading up to the big election in 2020 where everybody's up for re-election again or maybe somebody's not going to run in a particular district or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities for 2020. So let's Let's do some future predictions. I mean, I would just like to see a female governor. I would like to see more. You going to have one of those in 2020? It would be nice. 2021? 2021. 2021. You must know something. I don't know. I mean, it would be nice. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. No, I was saying in 2020. I was just giving you a hard time. No, I know. I, I just would like to see more and and genuine support for people of color, especially black women, running in all of these races to get and and not only that, but opening the door for the next woman behind them because we need a different catalyst to change. And I think we're going to continue to have these conversations that are filled with doom and gloom because what we get is doom and gloom because we've got too many old white men in the same positions for a long time that do the same. Nope. So, you know, we need to open the door for somebody different. And building that pipeline, like you said. So that means... And not the one from school to prison. Yeah. (laughs) That means giving more women of color money. That means hosting fundraisers for us. That means not putting up barriers when we're trying to get endorsements from a lot of these um, groups. That also means that the old guard has to kind of just come down a little bit the polling where it's like oh we don't predict that you're going that you're in a district that's winnable well can you still invest some resources and then if we can also change that narrative especially in newsrooms where we're only talking about black and brown women and like oh yes they're running you know and they're going to be this historic first but it's like but they also have a platform Mm -hmm. that they're running on Mm -hmm. so if we can move past a lot of that and start this ground we already have a ground movement but we need a little bit of these institutions we need the support exactly like to really build this pipeline because from what i've seen behind the scenes it's made me very disheartened and actually wanting to work on political races because they just don't want to help us Mm -mm. and it's really I've seen that with a lot of the coverage of Sheila Bynum Coleman, where it's all about, okay, she might take down Speaker Cox, and how exciting is it that a black woman might take out the Republican Speaker of the House? But very few people focus on her actual bona fides and her story and Mm -hmm. look into how gun violence has has impacted her own family and why that's why that's an issue that she's running on out of a very authentic personal narrative. Absolutely. And not just because the polling says that 58% of Virginians say that's their top issue. I I think that's going to be interesting because I think what we've seen from her is that she has an ability to connect with voters on the ground because that authenticity shines through. So I think even if the coverage hasn't caught up to what black women are doing on the ground, I think we do see um, some of that magic happening in real life which is exciting. 
So what am I hopeful about? What I'm excited about. So I'm really excited about the students. So in my day job, we are working to develop youth ambassadors. And our program is designed not to have students parrot what I believe or what our designees believe, but really to develop their voices and then to amplify them. We've been talking a lot about local school divisions, Richmond, Chesterfield, Henrico, and how can we work collectively uh, to improve the school divisions. And these students are bright. Hopeful RVA Dirt will come out next week and spend some time with them for a few minutes. But um, we'll be there. Really, really excited about developing their voices and then amplifying their voices. So that's something I'm excited about. Candidates. I don't want to get involved with like calling names because I, I have a lot of friends that's running, but mm-hmm. I'm paying attention. Uh, you know, I'm trying to invest in them and their races as much as I possibly can, uh, both time and with money. So I think November is going to be really, with well, these next, what, 14 days will be really interesting. Yep. Far too often when we look at voter accountability, it always comes down to elections. And I think we've been conditioned to do that in Virginia because we have elections every year. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited to see what happens in January. Regardless what happens in November, I want to see how we govern in January and how we get things accomplished. And I don't want these like safe bills and we need to wait. Like, What can we actually do now? I am very excited for the potential for culture change because I think that is at the root of a lot of the problems we have is that this is the former capital of the Confederacy and this culture of exploitation has not gone away. Um, So when I think about what I'm most excited for in this next year, I'm excited at opportunities we have to shift our culture towards one that's more future focused and more people focused. I see kind of two different things that are going on. One, uh, I just want to shout out the Virginia Mercury, which is a nonprofit newspaper. I think that is really changing the way that news is working and our conversations are shifting away from pure politics and power and towards policy. Absolutely. And how we can be fixing problems because there are so many and it can feel impossible to tackle them all at once. And it is such a resource to have a nonprofit newspaper that is out there having the right conversations and looking for the right solutions. Secondly, on a more local level, I am really excited about the conversation around participatory budgeting that is taking off in Richmond. If y'all haven't listened to the episode that Dirt recently did, it's great. I wrote my master's thesis on participatory budgeting. I moved back to my hometown of Richmond in December after living in Germany for a year and a half and doing a big contract monitoring evaluation of participatory budgeting in that city. And it is a culture changer. It shifts the way that bureaucrats interact with people. It shifts the way politicians interact with people. It shifts the way people think about their own government and the expectations they have for accountability and performance. And I think this unanimous passed resolution by Councilmember Addison saying that they want to have $15 million over the next five years dedicated to participatory budgeting in our system is a game changer. Game changer. Um, if this gets off the ground, like you would see the people have a voice and have money behind that voice for the first time in such a real way. And when we look at the research of participatory budgeting, like you look at cities in Brazil that have set aside their entire budget and done it through participatory budgeting. They 
completely change what their money was being spent on. A vast majority of it shifted towards health, education, <laughs> housing, things that people really need. I'm really excited for new mechanisms and structures to be built within this city that take the voice of the people from the ground up. One thing I would love to see is a neighborhood board system. Uh-huh. This exists on Oahu, and it is what y'all were talking about for the school board. It is a place for people to get elected and represent their community in an advisory position to get their name out there. And you can play politics essentially with no chips um, because you're just advisory. And it's also a great way for genuine community members to get involved and to pass their ideas up to those officials who have decision-making power. And I would love to see more outlets for engagement and involvement from the public in 2020. Yeah, and that's actually, that leads right into what I'm most excited about, and I'll keep it pretty simplistic. I am very excited and hopeful about the level of civic engagement in our residents and community with without anybody having to force them into it. People really want to be engaged. They want to be part of their community. They want to have a say in things. Um, People are learning to be advocates for themselves and their neighbors now. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by the process and the development that I've seen. Because I mean, I'm a lifelong Richmonder. And so I've watched Richmond go from purely apathetic, like there's nothing we can do. It's just what it is. We're going to remain at the status quo. This is the Richmond way to people saying, you know what? screw this. Let's break the wheel. Let's invent a new wheel. There are so many groups coming together right now, working together to make this a better city and to come up with innovative ideas like this participatory budgeting, the people's budget. Matthew Sletz said in um, Brazil, they call it the people's budget. Let's do more things like that, that the people control. The more control the residents have over their government and policy, the better things are going to be. And development in their neighborhood, like yep. Hall Street Action. Oh, yes. yes. Shout out. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, and Melissa and um, Wyatt, you essentially, you know, kind of summarize what I'm excited about. I mean, yesterday, um, Amy and I, we withhold with um, Southside Relief, we actually did our first tree planting at Blackwell Elementary School. And we have a lot of gatekeepers in our community often who say that you can't do something without them or they get upset if you don't go directly to them for permission. And so yesterday was great for us because we had 20 to 25 people who showed up just for the community, just to plant some trees. And so I'm excited that we have individuals who have the energy to tackle these problems. They want to learn, I'm, you know, myself included, and how does city council work? How do you get this paper passed? How do you write these ordinances? What does this mean? Folks are starting to ask the right questions and to show Practical up to Practical civic experience. Exactly, yes. exactly. So it's just really exciting that, you know, we have these new groups, like you said, that are like, we're here, we're invested, and we're going to do something to make positive change for our community. And also another thing that I get excited about is that we're not alone in the live tweeting access to our government anymore. Other people have joined us in that endeavor. More people are coming to council now. We're seeing familiar faces when we sit down. It's really nice. The council people are noticing who's coming and going now and reaching out to engage a little bit more. It may not always be exactly what we're looking for, but at least they're paying attention. They're seeing that their constituents are showing up and they're taking them to task. Like that's why public comment is absolutely my 
favorite part of city council because there's an opportunity for the public to come up, look at their council people in the eye and hold them accountable to take them to task, but also to give them compliments when compliments are due. It's really important, I think, to have a real working relationship between our elected officials and the people that they represent. They're not untouchable. Once they're elected, they're not far away from you. They should be in contact with you, the voter, and they should be listening. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for that to happen right now. And that makes me very excited. Yes. Thank you to all of our guests, Wyatt, Cherie, and Takeen. Yes. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into today's awesome episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. Flint still has dirty water, and now New Jersey does too. Hmm, maybe somebody should look at ours. <laughs> RPS is fully funded this year, but we still got to fund next year, so let's start working on it. And as always, Richmond is still most certainly racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. If you'd like to continue this conversation or start another, hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt, on our website, rvadirt.com, or email us at info at rvadirt.com. RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania Mania, 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 Mania is created and co-hosted by Francesca Lee Davis and Melissa Vaughn and is recorded in the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Executive producer Melissa Vaughn, censorship button tester Francesca Lee Davis. Let's get money, motherfucker, get money.